Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so good to be in Liberty Northeast. Being here at this church is a, it's a walk uh, down memory lane in many ways. Christine and I used to live in the house on the other side of that wall. Uh, they tore it down and announced it, but we used to live there. It was in the early 90s, almost 30 years ago. Um, we... Uh, Christine was pregnant with our first child, and she helped me paint it, which is a great idea to all <laughs> young families out there. That's my gift to you, that advice. It's really smart. Um, but, yeah, it's really great to be here, and by God's grace, we have been in the region for a long while. I just told some Evan and Amanda Curry stories this week because we're at another church and another network. And here, get this. Being a Christian, you were adopted into a new family. God the Father, through his son, Jesus Christ, uh, puts his spirit on us, marks us. He's like, you're a family member now. And not only do we get God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we get each other. We really do get each other. So we have church family. Uh, you need to know, you have church family in this region, and we love you guys. We pray for this church. We pray for Liberty Northeast. You have church family in other states, too. You have family members you don't even know about yet, and you'll probably meet, uh, have a chance to meet some leaders. Josh Curry has been here before from, uh, from Frontline Church and just been like, hey, we love you guys. We pray for Liberty Churches. They were just asking me about uh, Evan and Amanda, and your leaders are incredibly hardworking. I don't know how many times I've told this story. Um, you know, Evan and Amanda both have roots in the Northeast for a long, long time, like 120 years, you know, where, where Liberty Riverwards is, the Curry family was there, and I remember, uh, I was like, hey, talk to me about uh, how you're thinking about the Northeast, the 500,000 people that are in Northeast Philadelphia, and uh, Amanda just looks me in the eye and says, like, these are our people, we grew up here, we love uh, the people of Northeast Philadelphia, and I've teared up each of the hundred times I've told that story. And uh, love these guys. We pray for you like crazy. And then uh, Evan and Amanda find um, Kyle and Laura. They're just coming in right now. I was just saying, Evan and Amanda find <laughs> Kyle and Laura. There they are. Um, you know, if, if uh, Evan and Amanda were a rock band, they'd be like that hard-working punk rock band who's put their time in on the road. They work hard. And we were just talking about how hard they work in the Lord because of love for Jesus and love for the people of the region. And that's who Kyle and Laura are as well. So it's a privilege and a joy for me to lead this family of churches known as the Liberty Communion of Churches. You have church family. Um, we we pray for you, we love you, and we love your leaders, and it's a joy to walk, joy to walk with them. So hey, we're going to jump into God's Word, and we're in Luke 15. So there's there are going to be some slides up there. Listen as I read God's Word. I'm going to read a section, and then we'll talk about it, and just make our way through this parable. And a parable is simply a story with a point. Jesus tells this story to make a point. 
And I want to say two things. Some of you are like, hey, I know this parable, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you're not going to tell me anything new. Put on your seatbelt, <laughs> okay? Don't get off the ride. You know that when you're at the amusement park and like the safety harness comes down? You're like, we can't get off the ride. Don't get off the ride if you've heard this before, okay? Just strap in, let's learn something new, all right? Some of us here have never heard this. But there's an invitation here from God the Father. There's an invitation from the living God to you. So listen to God's word as I read. And he said, that's Jesus, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Okay, pause here for a second. So this is the ancient world, obviously. So we need to do a little work to get into the mindset of the ancient world. But if I said to you, hey, how would it go down in your family? You ask a relative, hey, you're going to die at some point, right? How about you give me the stuff now that you would give me then? Is that cool? That would be offending, right? That's offensive. And also... When the heart is clearly, hey, could you give me the stuff that I'm going to get when you die? And, and actually, I'm going to leave. We're going to break off contact. And so the, especially the immediate hearers, and we need to feel this this morning, this is a wounded father. This is a forsaken father. This is the son looking the father in the eye and be like, you know what? Divide the property. We're not talking like a stack of Amazon gift cards here liquidate some land and you're going to sell it so that this son can say, I'm going to have my share. And he leaves his father's people, which is Israel. So he's going to reject his father and the God of his fathers. He's rejecting God and he's rejecting his father. Father, I'm out. And he goes to a faraway country Look, Israel's the land of promise. God had said, hey, I give you this land, and the temple is in this land, and the Messiah is eventually going to come to this place, right? Jesus himself, stuff's going to go down here. And this son in the story is saying, actually, I'm going to purposely run away from all that. Oh, this is the God of our fathers, and supposedly this God that made these promises. Give me my stuff. I'm going to go the other direction. And he squanders his property in reckless living. Um, you know, roller coasters have a brake built in. Did you, did you know that? You, they, they actually do. There's a, um, and this is true at all the amusement parks around us, near the city. You can feel it sometimes. Oh, we're going around the corner, and it, there's a brake here, so we don't go too fast. The word here for reckless living is, it means to live without breaks. He's like, whatever my desire is, I'm going to do it. 
This is a, a YOLO kind of move. You only live once. It's bad advice as far as it's a bad way to live. But he's like, hey, I'm actually going to do that. Uh, it has some about his sexual desires, his appetites. He's just like, I'm, what I want to do, I'm going to do. And he squandered his property. Would actually, look, he's rejected the father, and he's rejected the town. And his whole town would have been like, actually, you've rejected our whole community. And you've done something that is really, really foolish. You've wasted it all. And the parable, this paragraph ends with the son is distanced, dirtied, and degraded. He's distanced. Like, Father, you're there. I'm going here. There's a forsaken father. Sin is relational, okay? Sin, not only, it's not like, oh, we broke a rule. We broke a father's heart. You just go 38 and the 35 mile an hour zone. Sin is a leaving. It also dirtied him. He wasted it all. It was really, really dumb. And now he's with the pigs. And you don't have to be an expert in Old Testament stuff to know pigs were considered unclean animals. What's the one kind of meat that the Israelite people were told not to eat? He's dirtied. He's degraded. It's almost like, and this is what sin does. Sin does make us feel less. We've all in this room done something, hated someone, spoke words, or acted in lust, or acted in greed, and then realized, I feel dirty right now. And that's not cultural, that's spiritual reality. Sin distances, dirties, and degrades. And this is where the sun is. And what happens next? Okay. Here's what the original hearers would have wanted. They would have been, man, I hope this kid gets what, what's coming to him. Can you believe he did that? Okay, if this is a Netflix show, no one's rooting for him right now. Okay? No one's like, come on, little buddy. You're going to have a turnaround. That's not what's happening. There's a great line here in verse 17. Look at this. But when he came to himself, he comes to himself. There's a realization. What am I doing? What has become of my life? Our addictions can lead us to places where we're like, where have I landed? You lose yourself. And there's a turning here. But when he comes to himself, he makes this little speech to himself. How many of my father's hands have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. Now, pause here just for a second. He's admitted, when he says, I've sinned against heaven, it's a Jewish way of saying, I've sinned against God. I'm so respectful of God, I'm not even going to say God's name. I'm going to say I've sinned against heaven. But he's admitted, I have, I have sinned against the God of the universe, and I've sinned against my Father, and I don't deserve to be called a son. I have burned that to the ground. That's what he's saying. 
And all the original hearers would say, yep, yes, you have. And the best that can be, you, be hope for you is you come home and live in shame, but at least you won't starve. Because right now, your job is the worst. That's how low you've gotten. And then this happens. But while he's still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Here's what's happening here. And this is right in the text. Okay, one thing you may not realize, dads don't run. Dads don't run. Uh, I picked my daughter up from school. I did years ago. She told me in seventh grade, she saw me, I was late. And she saw me running. She was like, Dad, that was the worst thing I've ever seen. I want there to be a rule that 10 blocks around the school, you're not allowed to go into a trot. She, we went through this phase. She's like, you're going to become a meme. That's what's going to happen to you. Uh, it's just the ugliest, worst thing I've ever seen. Dad, don't run, okay? Dads don't run. <laughs> In the ancient world, for a father who's like, think beard out to here, a patriarch, to be so overcome emotionally, to be just so melted in love that he forgets all dignity, picks up his robes, and sprints down the road. It's a detail here that shows us what's in the pastor's heart. And then the son, what's the son do? He launches into a stupid speech. He's like been practicing it on the way home. You know, the son's a little speck in the distance, and the father sees him. Could it be? Could it be him? And the son's rehearsing his speech in his head. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. He launches into the speech. He's already, though, look at the text. He's already been embraced and kissed. The father wasn't like, tell me your speech. Let me see if it passes muster. He's already been swept up in the father's arms. He's already been embraced, hugged, and kissed. And then they start to have this party. And this party is not just hey, we're going to get really good food uh, at the grocery store. It's not like we're going to get really good takeout. This is what you do for a once-in-a-lifetime once celebration. They kill the fattened calf. It's what you do at a wedding. And the symbols, look at the symbols, look at the verses. Quickly bring the best robe and put it on him. Who owns the best robe? Just think it through. The father. Who would inherit it? A son. And so he's saying, not only do I forgive you, but you're a son again, and what's mine is yours. He gives this lost son the best robe. Put a ring on his hand. It's probably a family signet ring. It's hard to tell. Scholars have debated this. But the symbolism of the ring, it wasn't just pick out a ring it's probably like the family signet ring that shows it's the mark that you're in the family. And shoes on the feet, a lot of servants, male and female, will go about barefoot. The sons and daughters have sandals. 
And every symbol is a symbol of family. You're in the family. You're welcomed home. And so they start to eat and they celebrate. And guess what? He also invites the whole town. Um, I know someone, I have a friend in Africa who was lost for years. And his family thought he was dead. When he was reunited with his family, they killed two fattened calves. And the village partied for days. We're just going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate. All life is going to stop. And we're just going to celebrate and share your joy. That's what's happening here. And I, I just want to stop here for a second. We wonder if the gospel's this good and this true. Uh, there's a book written about this passage called Prodigal God. Tim Keller wrote this book, um, who has been a thought leader and pastor. Now, he was, he was in New York City, he's still in New York City, but he's really a thought leader for the West. He was actually influenced by a couple of Philadelphia people by this guy named Jack Miller, who planted New Life Church. And I was in Jack Miller's, the church he planted, their membership class, with a baseball hat on backwards, trying to, before I married the woman right here, and moved to Liberty Northeast to live next door. And I'm just trying to take it in. Jack Miller was influenced by a guy named Ed Clowney, who's at Westminster Seminary. And there's some, that's the stew that, um, produced this kind of membership class. I'm a young, angry, young Christian trying to figure it out. And I think that I'm called into the Christian ministry and also have a lot of problems. Both those things can be true. Uh, They're both equally very true. A lot of problems also called by God to serve him and love him. And uh, I don't even think we were engaged yet. So I'm hearing this. The guy walks through the passage and is like, hey, do you believe the Father welcomes people like this? Do you believe that even if you grew up in the church and you're really bad at being a Christian and your quiet times are dumb and inconsistent, most of the time your heart's cold, um, your love is stale, You've got addictions that you don't have power of. Do you believe that actually the Father's welcome in the gospel is for you? I'm in the back row. I started crying, and I couldn't stop. I'm like, is the gospel this good? And I want to tell you this morning, based on the word of God, why does Jesus tell this parable? That this is true not just for like a gang member, who turns to the living God. There's a welcome home for that lost person. This is true for the person who's grown up in the church. And you know enough about the Bible and the Word of God and the truth of God that you are convicted about your stale love, your patterned sins. And the welcome of the gospel through the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a welcome from the Father to you. There's an experience of love from the Father. Jesus Jesus is our Lord and King. In some ways, in this parable, our elder brother that we never had. And he brings us into the family of the Father. There's an experience of the Father's love. And there was a, that membership class, here, both those things are true. It was a breakthrough moment for me. And also, 
I needed to be discipled in this, trained in this, mentored in this. I needed older people in my life. I needed to be around good dads. I needed to be around uh, men and women who prayed and confessed sin and felt better afterwards, not worse. Like Christians, we should be able to admit our sins and actually experience cleansing. There's sadness in it, but there's actually cleansing and peace. Do you know that? That's the welcome of the Father. Um, this has been depicted famously in a Rembrandt's painting. Let's put that up there. So this is a famous painting by Rembrandt, this Dutch master, who let me tell you a little bit Rembrandt's story while we look at this. Rembrandt, some artists are like despised their whole life. Not Rembrandt. He was a rock star. He's this amazing, wealthy, noted artist who also then destroyed his life with stupid decisions. Sexual scandal, wasting money. And at the end of his life, at the end of his life, he painted this. I believe uh, that this painting, which has moved people for several centuries, he painted it, okay, he, he was born in 1603 and lived 60 some years, so do that math. It was the sick, late 1600s when he painted this. It's moved people for over 300 years because Rembrandt, at the end of his life, knew he was the prodigal son and he wanted this to be true. He needed it to be true. He's like, I hope there's grace for me. And there's the son kneeling and there's the, the father's warm embrace. Have you experienced the Father's embrace? Do you know of that? And if the answer is no, I bring this up not to shame you, but to know the invitation. Because Jesus is trying to talk people into the celebration, into the party. Do you know of that? And there's another son in this, in this parable, Okay. He's actually looking on in the painting. There's another son. There's an elder brother, and we're going to learn about the elder brother. And the elder brother, what, what was the elder brother doing? He wasn't like, you know, I've really been praying for my younger brother. I'm so glad, so glad that he's home. We've really, great, we get to take him off the prayer list now. Okay? <laughs> There's an elder brother. Let me continue to read the scripture. Verse, starting with verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came near, drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what are these things? What these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received them back safe and sound. But he was angry, refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 
So let's just go through that real quick. There's a party going on, and the older brother is outside the party. Now, in the parables of Jesus, what do parties represent? The parables of Jesus, often the party represents the kingdom of God, the welcome of God. It's a future taste of heaven. A great Christian party should be a future taste of heaven where there's welcome, love, celebration, dancing, joy. And the son is on the outside looking in, and he's pouting. And he doesn't say, Dad, I'm glad, you know, my son who broke, my little brother who broke your heart, I'm so happy for you. He thinks, look what the, I've slaved for you. Does the older son have love for the father? He's obeying, but he's like, look, I've slaved for you. He doesn't say, Dad, I love you, and I honor you through what I do. He says, I've slaved for you, and you never gave, gave me anything. It's really dark, what he says. And the father's response is, he doesn't say, how dare you speak to me like that. He says, you're always with me. He also says, all that I have is yours. All, it's all yours, son. <laughs> Would you go celebrate? We had to celebrate. Now, um, here's what Ed Clowney and Jack Miller and then Tim Keller now, Steve Huber is going to explain to you. I realize this is like Huber's cover of a Guns N' Roses song of a Bob Dylan original, okay? Uh, but there's, there's actually been a long commentary, actually going back in the history of the church here. Here's the thing. This is, this is what's wrong. A lot of times this is known. It's even in this English translation, the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son. That's the title for this part of scripture that was put in by English translators. What's missing is there's how many lost sons in the parable? There's not one, but two. One was lost in the house. One was lost outside the house. What's revealed, the elder son was just as lost as his scandalous little brother. Here's what this means for us. Look, they're younger brother types, older brother types. The younger brother types are like, I don't need church. I hate church. Christianity, no thank you. That might be some of you this morning. That's like being you your life. And, or maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you've always been out to search. You want nothing to do with it. You're like, I'm going to party and live my life. That's a way to be lost. There's a whole other way to be lost. You can be in the church and be lost. You can be in the church and not know the love of the Father and think you're better than everybody, and you actually don't know the Father's heart. You don't share his joy, and you don't experience the Father's love. Uh, the Office, NBC The Office, has essentially become an American classic, right? It's just like people watch all the seasons again and again. Who's the one Christian character on The Office? NBC's The Office. It's Angela. Angela is self-righteous, okay? She's, she's the Christian character. She's self-righteous. She thinks she's better than any, everybody. She's also a hypocrite. She does things that everybody knows are deeply wrong and yet still finds a way to be better than everybody. 
Angelo on the office is the church saying to, is the culture, um, American culture saying to the church, hey, sometimes you smell like the elder brother. When we get close to you, what we experience is not, I would say, the welcome of the Father and the grace of God, the love of God. And yes, sin exists and there is sin. And guess what? I'm going to love you enough to tell you what sin is. But did you know the grace of God? Did you? And we need grace. Sometimes the church smells like the spirit of the elder brother. And people want no part of it. Why does Jesus tell this story? Here's why. Uh, and there's, there's not a slide for this, so just listen. Jesus tells this because some tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. It's Luke 15, verse 1. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats, eats with them. Jesus tells this parable and two others because some church people, some elder brother people were saying, did you see what kind of parties Jesus goes to? He eats with those folks. It's like he likes them or something. They're scandalized. It's, did you see who, whose house Jesus went to? It's like that he's giving them a welcome back to God too. Can you, can, can you believe that Jesus would reach out to unwashed people like that with sexual addiction and drug addiction and scandal, murderers. I have a, there's a kid I met in a children's home who refers to me as his older brother, who I talk to every week, once in a while visit in prison, who murdered somebody. And has asked me point blank, is there forgiveness for me? Has Jesus done enough to forgive someone who's committed that kind of sin? What's the answer to that question? That the, the work of Jesus on the cross, it wasn't just to give vitamins to nice church people who need a little help. Because there are no such thing as, uh, we're all unwashed, we're all unwell, we all have sin. And yes, some of us have done horrible murders that are going to put us in prison. Some of our sins look different. We all need the grace of God. We all need the welcome of God the Father. And Jesus is saying even to the Pharisees and the, uh, the church people, will you come back in? Could you come back home? He's pleading with them. Guys, you guys know the word. Can you, Jesus actually, there's times when he denounced the Pharisees. Here, he gives them a loving invitation to actually say, don't miss the party. And actually, some of them, after Jesus' resurrection, believed in him and followed him. What does this mean for us? Where are you in this parable? You probably have some younger brother in you where there's areas of your life where you're like, God, I know this is what you said, said but I'm actually, I'm going to run away from that. I need to wrestle with that. There's probably areas of your life where you're like, okay, that's what God says. I'm not going to do that. And maybe you're, there'll be moments when you're like, okay, I'll do that, but under pressure. Turn around and experience the welcome of the Father. 
come to the, come, uh, the work of Jesus is so deep and so powerful. It can change someone who's messed up like I am. <laughs> I'm a, the fact that I'm a Christian and a pastor is hilarious. If you know my story, you would be like, Steve Huber, destined to be a well-functioning human being, let alone pastor, um, by the grace of God, less of an angry man, a man who's been gentled by his heavenly father for 30 years. If the gospel can change someone like me, it can change anybody. So where's the younger brother in you? Where's also the older brother in you? Where do we, instead of embracing the grace of God, where do we cling to our self-righteous performance? Where do we miss out on the Father's heart because there's a part of us that thinks like we've earned it. God, I, I, sir, I'm not like these people or I'm not like those people or I'm better than that. Where do you think it's about, where do you really have the spirit of the older brother? And the good news is the older brother too is being invited into the party. You can be lost outside the church. You can miss out on the love, grace, and welcome of the Father inside the church. Can we, can we just receive the Father's invitation this morning? And just to know the Father's love. We're going to go to the table soon. We're going to sing some more. God has even given us, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us the Lord's Supper so that again and again we'd be reminded of the reality, the grace of God, uh, the welcome of God. Look what the Father has done for us to send His Son for us. Allow me to pray for us. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray for um, this church. I pray for Liberty Northeast to know the love of the Father and the welcome of the gospel. I pray that they know that in a, a deeper way for every person in this room. I pray that um, those of us who are here and who do not yet believe, do not yet we're not yet all in on this. I pray for breakthrough. I pray we'd see the goodness of the gospel, the reality of the invitation. And we pray we'd walk with each other to know more of the welcome of the gospel. We, and we also pray, Lord, that this church would lift up this good news in Northeast Philadelphia, that there would be an invitation, a modeling of this Father's welcome for the people of Northeast Philadelphia, and especially here in the far Northeast, and Lower Bucks County. We pray that what's the, the good news of Jesus that's extended, we pray it'd be really clear. Bless, Lord, the people of this church, the leaders of this church. We pray that we'd be, you'd grow us in faithfulness and sharing the Father's welcome. And we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.